This morning's text for Pastor John's sermon is Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. Please feel free to follow in your own Bibles or in the pew Bible in front of you. Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to none except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number that believed turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a large company was added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a large company of people. And in Antioch the disciples were for the first time called Christians. The vast majority of men and women who've lived and who've served God are utterly forgotten and can't be named upon this earth. Uh, The poet Horace who died just about the time Jesus was born, spoke about great warriors who had lived in his own time and before like this. In endless night they sleep, unwept, unknown. No bard had they to make all time their own. When I was over in Singapore a few weeks ago, there was a lot of talk about third world missions. And that means missionaries going out from third world countries rather than having missionaries sent to third world countries. And I sat one day at lunch with a representative of one of these countries and he remarked and said, you know, this isn't totally new. The problem is there aren't any biographers for third world missionaries. And so hundreds of God's great and faithful Men and women who have served him from all the nations of the world where the gospel has reached are gone as far as our memory is concerned. Totally forgotten. But not all. And there's a reason why not all have been forgotten. And the reason is because God intends for memory to be a means of grace. He intends for the lives of great men and women who have served him faithfully to inspire and to guide us as we read the records of their lives. And so he has seen to it that many, many instances of preservation are here today. Hebrews 13:7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life. Imitate their faith. Or... Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 says, Do not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That means Christian biography is one of the best ways to overcome sluggishness in the Christian life. And I know that personally. 
It is God's will that Christian biography, both biblical and post-biblical, get sluggishness out of the lives of his people. Or consider Hebrews 11. What's that? Hebrews 11 is just an array of many biographies or excerpts from Old Testament biographies. That's what it is. So it's clear from Hebrews that this writer believes in the power of the preserved word to encourage, to inspire, and to guide the subsequent generations. Or consider Proverbs 13.20. He who walks with wise men becomes wise. Now, Phillips Brooks, the great uh, Episcopalian pastor in Boston a hundred years ago, he applied that verse, that proverb, uh, to biography like this. He said, while it is good to walk among the living, it is good also to live with the wise, great and good dead. It keeps out of life the dreadful feeling of extemporaneousness with its conceit and its despair. It makes us always know that God made other men before he made us. It furnishes a constant background for living. It provides us with perpetual humility and inspiration. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, he said the very same thing. I've got a long quote here that I'm not going to take time for because this message is longer than I thought it was. Or Jonathan Edwards said the same thing. In fact, probably the most influential book Edwards ever wrote was The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, which has inspired uh, generation after generation of missionaries for 200 years. Because he said there are two ways to get across truth, precept or example. And so he wrote great theological works with precepts, and he wrote this one great influential work with the grand example of David Brainerd. So... My conclusion is that both from Scripture, Hebrews, Proverbs, and from church history, we should make it our aim to get inspiration and guidance from noble, godly men and women who have served God faithfully in ages gone by, both in Scripture and as they have been faithfully recorded in Christian biography. And I've been thinking a lot lately about who I should talk about from the Bible. And I'm going to talk about Barnabas for the next three weeks from the book of Acts. Barnabas, here are the three message titles so you can ponder ahead. Barnabas, today, the goodness of a great faith. Next week, Barnabas, the maker of a great leader, namely St. Paul. We owe Mark in the Bible and Paul in the Bible to Barnabas. And third, Barnabas, the weakness of a great man. Look at Galatians 2. Today, Acts chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. Let's get the situation before us. We want to look at the goodness of a great faith. The situation is this. Stephen was killed. A persecution came. The saints, according to God's will, scattered. It's not always God's will to stay and get your head chopped off. That's not the point of this morning, but you should think about that. 
God willed for them to scatter. We know that from chapter 11 where he rejoices that they had scattered and taken the gospel elsewhere. Well, they make it all the way up to Antioch, 400 miles to the north, and they preach not only to Jews but also to Gentiles, and a church is born. Well, the word comes back to Jerusalem. A church has started in Antioch among Gentiles. Verse 22, we'll pick it up right here. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large community was added to the Lord. Now, I wish we could preach two sermons this morning, and the second sermon would be on the result of his goodness. Namely, a large community was added to the Lord, but we'll save that for another time. This morning's message is to focus on this issue of his goodness. Luke, who wrote this book, evidently wants us to admire Barnabas, or he wouldn't have taken pains to say he was a good man. That's like saying, watch this man. Look at this man. He's good. And he's full of the Spirit and he's full of faith. And today's question is, what's the root of his goodness? What's the, the, the uh, fountain of the goodness that seems to overflow in this man's life? And the answer to that is his faith, I believe, and we can see it in verse 24. So let's ponder verse 24 for a few minutes. There are two assertions. One, Barnabas is a good man. And two, Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, the question you should ask yourself, I think, at this point is, how do these things relate to each other? These three things, goodness, fullness of the Holy Spirit, fullness of faith. How does all that relate to each other? Does one come first and cause the other or what? Well, I think you would probably agree just from the way this verse is written that the last assertion, namely he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, is probably uh, the foundation of the first assertion. He didn't get the Holy Spirit because he was good. Rather, the Holy Spirit came in and started making him good. Now, to get this all laid out for us in a very clear theological way, we turn to the great theologian rather than biographer of the New Testament, Paul. And if you want to go with me to Galatians 5, you can turn there now. You all know by heart, probably, or many of you do know by heart, the fruits of the Spirit, right? And they're found right here in Galatians 5, 22. And so what we're going to see here is Paul's statement about the relationship between the Spirit and goodness. Because goodness is what? It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. All right? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, uh, joy, peace, goodness, goodness. Okay, so now we have Paul's answer, at least, to how fullness of the Holy Spirit relates to being a good man. Namely, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the, it causes the fruit, which is goodness. The fullness of the Holy Spirit brings about the goodness of Barnabas. What about faith now? Are we just kind of passive trees here? We're just kind of planted in the ground with our branches like this, and the Holy Spirit works on us, and then fruit pops out on us, and we're not engaged in this at all? No, that's not the image of, of a New Testament believer. And Luke doesn't say in verse 24, 
he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit, period. He said he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. And faith is something I do. It is an act of my heart and my will. Now, how does it relate to fullness of the Holy Spirit? Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 and verse 5. Let's look at verse 2 first. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer he expects is clearly the latter. We received the Holy Spirit not by works of law, but by hearing the promises and word of God with faith. So, what's the connection between the Spirit and faith? Answer, the Spirit comes by faith. When you have faith, the Spirit moves into your life. You receive the Spirit by faith. Now, verse 5 of Galatians 3. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? And he clearly expects again the latter to be the answer. We Go on being supplied with the Spirit. He goes on doing works through us, not by works of law, but by faith in the Word of God. So now we've seen that at the beginning of the Christian life, we receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And as we go on in the Christian life, He continually is supplied to us by faith. So now let's stand back and see if we can put all the pieces of verse 24 together. When Luke says that Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, he's saying three things, I think, in this logical or theological connection. First, he's a man of great faith. Second, by virtue of that great faith, he has been empowered by and filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit. And third, because the Holy Spirit has the fruit of goodness, this man is now a good man. Is that plain? The dynamic or the anatomy, you might say, of goodness in the Christian walk. Now, we know what makes Barnabas tick then. What makes him tick, Luke would say, he would say probably, let's say, Luke, what makes Barnabas tick? And he would say, do you, want to be, do you want me to focus on the divine enabling or do you want me to focus on the human accountability? And I would say, both. Tell me both. What makes him tick? And he would say, okay, in terms of divine enablement, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes this man tick. He's full of it. And in terms of human accountability and responsibility, it's faith that makes this man tick. He's full of it. And that's the way the Christian life is. The Holy Spirit is powerful through and by means of faith. Now, the question I want to ask is, how does faith relate to goodness and what is this goodness of Barnabas? I just want to spend the rest of our time together looking at six pieces of goodness or six elements or features of goodness in this man's life. And they're all right here in this text. We could gallivant all over the book of Acts. We're going to do some of that next week. But I think we'll just stay right here and take these, this little snapshot of, of Barnabas and look at six 
uh, features in the portrait of this good man and then try to show how each of the features is accounted for by faith. Number one, Barnabas is known for his empathy for outsiders. He's known for his empathy. You know that word, don't you? You're feeling along with. Empathy for outsiders. Now, where do I get that in this text? Well, it's a little bit indirect, but let me see whether it's uh, twisting to do this. Notice in verse 22. Of all the apostles, elders, and deacons in the church at Jerusalem that could have been sent to the Gentile believers in Antioch, they chose Barnabas. Why? I don't think we're left adrift in the book of Acts. I think, I think Luke gives us a hint. Why? Back in chapter 9, do you remember what happened when Saul got converted on the Damascus Road? And then, very shortly thereafter, he tried to make his appearance in the Christian fellowship in Jerusalem, and they would not receive him. He was scary. This man's a killer of Christians. One man stood up for Paul and was the means by which this underdog, this outsider, this, this uh, outcast, got in. Barnabas. The same thing happened with John Mark later on. The underdog who had copped out on the first missionary journey. Barnabas is the one who stands up for him. This man has a reputation of being one who has empathy with outsiders or down and outers. And therefore, I think the church in Jerusalem did something like this. They said, you're kidding. A church of Gentiles in Antioch. God, we don't know how to relate to Gentiles. I mean, we don't eat with Gentiles. Barnabas, he can get along with anybody. He seems to encourage everybody. A sin Barnabas. And of course, you, you remember, don't you, that his, his name was not Barnabas. His name was Joseph. Chapter 4, verse 36, his name was Joseph, and he got the name Barnabas from the apostles because it means son of encouragement. That's why I named my son Barnabas, because I wanted to be like this man. And wouldn't you love it if your name got changed by the, the people in this church to Mr. Encouragement or Mrs. Consolation? Wouldn't you love that? That your reputation was such that when people got around you, they just got helped. How does faith produce that kind of person? How does faith make you a, a person for outsiders and down and outers? I think there are many ways to answer that question. Let me just give you one. Faith still feels the wonder of being an outsider accepted by God. Faith still feels the wonder of being an outsider accepted by God. Now, you know, don't you, that w there was a time when God was in his heavenly Jerusalem, four, not 400, but 4 trillion moral miles away from the bondage of Antioch, where I am willfully enslaved in my sin as a Gentile outsider. And there is a gulf between me and him that nobody on this earth, can bridge. And he bridged it by constructing a bridge out of the cross of his son. You've all seen the little drawing, a magnificent little drawing with the cross of his son spread between the Jerusalem of God's holiness and the Antioch of my sin. 
And I hope so much that if any of you is here this morning feeling like you're trapped in the Antioch of God's sin and God's way down in Jerusalem with all the insiders, that you will see that bridge and his hand outstretched on it and blood dripping from it with a loud I love you being shouted. And just get on it and walk across by faith. You can do that this morning before this message is over. Well, that's how faith, I think, makes a person empathetic with outsiders. It still feels the wonder of being an outsider. Second piece of goodness. Barnabas yielded to the call of God through the church. The end of verse 22 says, they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and verse 23 begins, when he came. And between those two verses is a magnificent act of yieldedness to the will of the church and the will of God through the church. They looked around and said, who are you going to send up there? Good night. Who knows what it's like to be ministers to Gentiles in this foreign city, Antioch? Send Barnabas. He's good at it. He's a real encourager for, for new believers and for outsiders. And Barnabas... Here's them say, you're the man, Barnabas. You got the gifts. You got to go. And he says, okay. Now, that's not to be sniffed at because he never went home again. Except on one visit that we know about to take some money to the poor saints. In fact, you know what happened a few years later? On this short-term missionary project in Antioch, he was praying with six other teachers. And the Holy Spirit said, um, Barnabas and Saul, I want to become vocational foreign missionaries. He never went home to Jerusalem. He took off with Paul and for the rest of his life, as far as we know, served as a missionary. Now, what gives a man the strength at the bequest or the behest of the church just to go and leave? He owned property. We know that because he had sold some of it and given it to the church. He just left it all. Well, it's faith, isn't it? It's faith in the missionary promise of Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I will never leave you to the end of the age. I'll be with you to the end of the age. He trusted in that promise, and he knew that wherever he went with God, he would be in the presence of omnipotent love and precious fellowship. And so faith made him free to be yielded to the call of God through the church. Third feature of goodness in Barnabas. It says he saw the grace of God in an imperfect church. Verse 23, when he came to Antioch and saw the grace of God. Now, I'm assuming the church is imperfect, all right? You grant me that assumption? It's a brand new church. It's, it's people who don't know beans about Christianity or Jewish uh, traditions. And let's just say they're like us, namely they're imperfect. And Barnabas gets up there and he sees grace. Now, that is a virtue. 
Because not many of us are like that, or not enough of us are like that. Maybe there are many, but not enough of us are like that. If you're like me, you're prone to walk into a situation of imperfection, and all you see is imperfection. And you get angry about it. You get discouraged by it. You get frustrated. Just sin everywhere. Everybody's life seems to be falling apart. This land has got so much rottenness in it. And it gets so overwhelming... You don't have the goodness of Barnabas anymore to see the tokens of grace, small that they may be, for which God should be praised and honored. Well, he had the gift of encouragement, didn't he? If, you, if you're going to encourage people, you've got to be a grace spotter in their lives. Even little, little, little teeny embers that you want to fan into flame where nobody else or everybody else can only see Ashes of imperfection. You see a little ember, a little hope, and you begin to fan it. That's what Barnabas was, was like. Now, why does faith produce that kind of virtue and goodness? To be able to spot grace when you in, are in the presence of it. I think it's because faith lives by grace. Faith locks eyes with grace every time it comes into its presence. Faith is like a homing device for grace. Faith is like a radar screen that's designed so that the slightest little movement of grace on the horizon will appear on the screen of faith. Or faith is like one of those little metal detectors that these guys walk around Lake Calhoun with looking for money. You know, I think that's what they're looking for. I don't know. But metal detectors, and, and, and faith is like one of those metal detectors when the slightest little fragment of grace comes underneath, pow, it registers, lights go off. There's grace here. And we need to be more like that. Faith lives by grace. It locks eyes with grace. It's got a homing device for grace. And so when you, like Barnabas, walk into a new church... You don't just see imperfections. The, the, the little antennacles go beep, 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 beep. Grace, 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 grace. Changing attitude here. Healing relationship here. Somebody's on the way here. A conversion here. You're not blinded by the, by the imperfections all around you. Barnabas was a good man in that he could see grace in an imperfect church. But not only see it, number four, Barnabas rejoiced over the grace of God in the lives of others. Verse 23 goes on. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. So now, I'm going to explain this in terms of faith again. Faith is not only a homing device for grace. Faith is not only a radar that picks up grace on the horizon. It's not only a metal detector that picks up little fragments of grace. Faith is also an addiction to grace. The more you have tasted and seen, the more you've got to have. Faith is addicted to grace from long dependence on it. And therefore, when it gets in the presence of grace... Faith, like in terms of all unconquered addictions, leans into it, wants it, desires it, rejoices in it. 
And it's the most glorious addiction in the world. And it is an addiction that can deliver from other kinds of addiction. We must fight addiction with addiction. And the Bible presents us with a glorious addiction to grace that faith has cultivated through long dependence on grace. And so when Barnabas comes to Antioch, his homing device spots it. Grace, that is. But not only spots it, he leans into it, is addicted to it, rejoices in it, and embraces it. Fifth, Barnabas exerted himself for the perseverance of the saints. And this is part of his goodness. Let's read all of verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. Good people exert themselves for the perseverance of the faith of other people in the church. Now, why is it that faith engages itself, exerts itself for the preservation of other people's faith? I think the answer is... It does so because faith is aware that in itself there is an impulse to fight for its life. There is an impulse in authentic, saving faith that resists every temptation to unbelief. Only inauthentic faith says, well, I can take off the armor of spiritual warfare And I can lay down vigilance and I can rest on past faith for future blessing. Saving faith does not talk like that. Saving faith is aware that its own life is at stake in preservation and therefore it fights for its life when it gets up in the morning with the word of God. It is vigilant over its eyes. It lops off its hands lest it sin. Faith fights for its life. And therefore, it's no surprise that a man who is good will fight for the faith of others. It's built into the nature of faith. And as he looks at this quavering faith of these new believers in Antioch, he knows from his own experience and his own temptation, I must help them, I must fight for them, I must work that their faith not fail, that they might endure to the end and be saved. He worked for their preservation because he was a good man and full of faith. Finally, number six, Barnabas was utterly trustworthy with other people's money. Look at verses 29 and 30. The disciples determined, this is the disciples in Antioch, they determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brethren who lived in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. In other words, Barnabas along with Saul was chosen to be trusted with the collection. Now, I think Luke wants us to notice that because he he highlights Barnabas elsewhere as a man who is trusted with possessions and handles his money with integrity. For example, in chapter 4, verse 36, he says, Thus Joseph, who was surnamed 
by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This man has a reputation for the way he handles his possessions. And his reputation is that he's free. He doesn't love money. His reputation is that he can leave it all behind there in Jerusalem. Maybe he sold it all and went off for Antioch and left the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. This man has a reputation that the power of greed has been broken in his life. Now, how did that happen? By faith. Jesus said, O ye of little faiths, you know, seek the kingdom first. Everything else will be added to you. Have faith. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. Therefore, be content with what you have. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? This man believed the word of God, and therefore the power of greed was snapped in half. And the church saw it, and they gave him money. He was trustworthy. He lived simply. He got rid of possessions. He could leave at the drop of a hat and go to Antioch and then on into the mission field. This man did not love money because he believed God. The key to this man's life was that he was full of faith and thus full of the Spirit and thus a good man. So let me sum up as we close. Barnabas felt empathy for outsiders because faith still feels the wonder of being an outsider accepted by God. Two, Barnabas was good because he yielded to the call of God. And he did that because faith rests in the missionary promise that God will be with us no matter where we go and take care of us with omnipotent love. Three, he was a good man in that he yielded to the call of God through the church. And he could do that because he rested. Oh, I said that already. He was a good man because he saw, he saw the grace of God in an imperfect church. Because faith has this homing device for grace. Fourth, he rejoiced over the grace of God in the lives of others. Why? Because faith is addicted to grace. It not only sees it, it savors it. It not only spots it. It's addicted to it because of long dependence on it and therefore rejoices in it wherever it sees it and can have some of it. And fifth, Barnabas exerted himself for the perseverance of the saints because his own faith has taught him that faith fights for its life. Paul comes to the end of his life and says, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord will give me on that day and to all who've loved His appearing. You don't lay back and say, all my past faith will guarantee me the future. Today I can take off the armor and lay down my vigilance. Saving faith is not speaking, if that's the voice in your head. And finally, Barnabas was utterly trustworthy with other people's money because the power of greed had been broken and the sword that severed the root of greed was faith in the never-failing love of his Father in heaven. So I close by simply admonishing you with the words of Hebrews. Therefore, consider the outcome of his life and imitate his faith. And I invite you as we close to affirm your commitment 
to imitate our father's faith, namely Barnabas, by singing just one verse of that hymn we already sang, number 526, Faith of Our Fathers, verse number three. Shall we stand as we sing it together?